Hey y'all, it's Blake. I am giving you a bonus episode this week. There's a couple different reasons why. First of all, there was an extra Friday in December, so we have an extra week to an extra Friday to cover for episodes. B, there's a lot going on in my life. I'm planning a move and everything, so I didn't have a chance to record a new episode with a guest this week. But don't worry, the final two episodes for this season in Salem will be the next two weeks. They're going to be great episodes. I'm very excited about them. So enjoy this episode that's been on Patreon for a couple months now. It still takes place in the area of Salem. I recorded it before I started the Salem episode. So I do mention that the Salem season is coming up, but we're currently in that season. Just wanted to give you a heads up. But without further ado, here is the Bonus episode about Lizzie Borden and the Borden murders. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Haunted Hometowns, your monthly true crime paranormal bonus content. And I promise I'll come up with a better name intro for these, but we're just getting started. My name is Blake Lambert Hack, and each bonus episode will be different. Last month, I did a medley of Halloween stories, murders, paranormal activity, etc. But tonight's episode is a big hitter and a crime you've probably heard of. There's a few reasons why I wanted to cover the Borden Axe murders. First, I love an unsolved mystery. It is one of my favorite things. It's how I got into true crime. Secondly, axe murders are fascinating. Out of every weapon you could possibly choose, why an axe? And I feel like many axe murders are also unsolved, so maybe that has something to do with it. But thirdly, the murders of Andrew and Abby Borden took place only 75 miles away from the town season three of Haunted Hometowns will be covering next week. Hint, hint, hint. More on that later. Okay. I got my drink going. I hope you have a drink going. We can drink together and get this started. I'm going to give a warning. This is a true crime podcast, so if you can't handle the descriptions of death, murder, and or ghosts, maybe this isn't the right place for you. If you can handle the dark side of life, let's get started. I'm taking you back to August 4th, 1892 in Fall River, Massachusetts, when Andrew Borden was found hacked to death in his home. He was found laying face down in a pool of blood on the living room couch, while his wife, Abby Borden, was found hacked to death upstairs in the guest bedroom. Andrew's face was nearly split in two, and the back of Abby's head was completely smashed. Andrew was found by his daughter Lizzie Borden, while Abby was found by their maid, Bridget Sullivan. 
They called the family physician when they found the bodies who lived across the street, and he pronounced the married couple died around 11 a.m. August 4th, 1892. Now, Andrew Borden was of Welsh and English descent. He came from money, but struggled financially until he started working in manufacturing. Andrew made a name for himself in furniture and casket sales before turning to property development, where he made most of his money. He was the director of several text mills and owned a decent amount of land. He was also the president of the Union Savings Bank. At the time of his death, he was valued at $300,000, which, if you're doing inflation math, it's around $9 million as of 2020. So he was big rich. But one of the funniest things, like one of the things I find hilarious is that even though they had all this money and property and such, the house they lived in didn't have indoor plumbing. I know it's 1892 or the 1800s, but you're wealthy. You can afford it. In Hercules, they said indoor plumbing, it's going to be huge. So stop shitting in the back barn or something. I don't know. That's... Come on now. Let's not penny penny pinch. Andrew's first wife, Sarah, gave birth to Emma Borden in 1851 and Lizzie Borden in 1860 before Sarah's death in 1863 of uterine congestion and spinal disease. Very sad. R.I.P. Sarah. Three years after her death, Andrew married his second wife, Abby Gray. The Borden sisters were convinced Abby married their father for his money, which, I mean, maybe so. There's tons of people who do that. They could also have loved each other. You can marry someone for their wealth and also fall in love with them. They also called her... The Borden sisters also called their stepmother Mrs. Borden, which I can just hear it now, like a six-year-old Lizzie saying, Good morning, Mrs. Borden, in that really really snotty way that only like a six-year-old could do. And what a good way to piss your stepmother off. Not to call her mom, mother, or even just like Abby, but to call her Mrs. Borden. Backhand. A year later, in 1867, Andrew and Abby hired Bridget Sullivan, an Irish immigrant, as their maid to keep up the house and help the 7- and 16-year-old Emma and Lizzie. The Borden sisters grew up going to church regularly. Lizzie taught Sunday school to immigrant children as well as being involved in Christian organizations. I think... They're like, she was part of two or three different Christian organizations. And because of her wealth and participation in religious groups, she was very well known and liked in the community and town of Fall River, Massachusetts. Because the death of Sarah Borden, 
was so hard on Lizzie, she turned to her sister Emma for support, making Emma more of, like, the mother figure of Lizzie instead of a sister. And Lizzie and Emma disliked Abby so much, they rarely had meals with her. They rarely had meals with their father. They just lived separate lives, even though they were all living in the same house. The sisters did almost everything together and supported each other through the years. Neither Emma nor Lizzie ever got married. Not that they had to, but during that time, it was so frequent. But here in Haunted Hometowns, we support independent women. So go off, Lizzie and Emma. You don't need a man. You can live your lives, hang out with just each other and your friends, and popping off in Fall River, Massachusetts in the 1800s. Good for you. Emma and Lizzie lived at home, even though Andrew was beginning to give properties he owned to family members, such as Abby's sister, who Andrew gave a house to. And she wasn't the only one either. Like, multiple family members on Abby's side, as well as the Borden side, were getting land from Andrew. Purchasing land for either cheap, or he was giving them as a gift, whatever the case may be. So if anyone listening is looking to give away a house, apartment, or condo in a city, let me know. I'm always open to receiving gifts. So you can email me at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. And thank you. Of course, this Oprah-style giveaway made the Borden sisters very upset. They demanded a house of their own. So their father sold them their house that they grew up in with their mother, Sarah, only for one dollar they purchased that house for a dollar they would have they would also have several arguments with their father about his actions so much so emma and lizzie took a little vacation to get away for a bit in july of 1892 and they went to new bedford massachusetts and i don't know if i would consider that a vacay maybe a getaway but to me, like, a vacation is, like, beach, mountains, different country, different state, different, you know, just and enjoying it. Not because you're getting away to, like, because you're mad or just to go, like, a few miles. I know it's harder and takes longer to go farther in 1800s, but they had the money, so. After they returned, Lizzie chose to stay in a local rooming home for four days before moving back in with her father because right before they left for their trip, they sold the house they bought back to their father for $5,000. So they bought the house from their father. Demand, they demanded a house, bought it for a dollar, and then for whatever reason, they sold it back to their father. They were probably going to sell it to somebody else for a certain amount of money because they wanted the money instead of the house. But their dad was probably like, no, I'll just buy it back from you. But he bought it back for $5,000. So these girls made a profit of $4,999 off their own father. Which, if you ask me, is like very generous of him. He may have been stingy. But he basically gave the house to his daughters. It would have probably been easier if they just asked for like a weekly allowance. Maybe they already had one, but... I don't know. They, it's just a weird circumstance. 
After Lizzie and Emma returned home from their trip, Andrew and Abby became violently ill. Now, reports vary because some say the entire family was sick, while others contradict that and say other... They say only the parents were sick. And for me, reading about this, the timeline was a little muddy. But apparently they weren't sick enough to have guests over. Because the night before the murders of Andrew and Abby, John Morse, Sarah's brother, visited his nieces and was asked to stay the night to discuss business with Andrew. They most likely discussed property transfers and money, 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 which is always a touchy subject for the rich. It's thought that their discussion only made tensions worse in the house, but John did spend the night in the guest bedroom. I know I've gone through a lot of names, so let's just recap by listing. I'm going to list everyone who was at breakfast the morning of the murders. August 4th, 1892, John Morris, Lizzie and Emma's uncle, was at breakfast. Andrew and his second wife, Abby, were there. The maid, Bridget, was, of course, there. And so was Lizzie. Emma, on the other hand, had plans with friends in a nearby town, so she left early in the morning to meet up with them before breakfast had even started. John and Andrew talked in the sitting room after breakfast before John left around 8.48 a.m., which to me is so early to shower, change, eat breakfast, and have an hour-long talk. And even for Emma, like, that's so early to, like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with friends at 7 a.m. Like that, I mean, I don't know. Go off 19th century. Also, 8.48 is a very specific time. I know it's probably after they did the investigations of the murders, they came to that conclusion that he, ate or, he left around 8.48, but John Morse left at 8.48 a.m., Andrew, after his talk with John, went on his morning 9 a.m. walk. At which time, Abby went upstairs to make the guest bedroom. Like, after John left, Abby went up to make up the guest bedroom again, redo the pillows, tidy up, etc. And normally, Bridget would have done that, but I think Bridget was busy, like, cleaning the kitchen. And then she claimed to have gone outside to clean the windows. As Abby was making the guest bed, she heard someone enter the room behind her. She turned around to greet whomever and was immediately struck on the side of her face with a hatchet. The first swipe of the hatchet cut just above Abby's left ear, causing her to fall to the ground face down. Her fall caused contusions on her forehead and nose. And then she was struck 17 more times to the back of her head, ultimately killing her. When Andrew returned home from his walk around 10.30 a.m., which is a hefty walk. I don't know where he went, but for an hour and a half, that's good for him. He must have been skinty. Andrew struggled to get into the house from the front door. He 
always had a key on him, but for some reason the door was sticking or the key wasn't working. It wasn't too clear, but he was having a hard time getting in. So he loudly knocked to get someone's attention. Bridget quickly scurried to the door, but the door had been jammed. Again, I'm not sure how, but it was stuck. Eventually, Bridget was able to unjam the door and let Andrew in, her employer in. Lizzie helped her father take his boots off and lay down for his nap on the couch, which, of course, you need one at, I think he was, like, in his 70s and taking an hour and a half long walk. Take a nap. Lizzie informed him that Abby had received a summons from a messenger to visit a sick friend. Once Andrew had fallen asleep, though, Lizzie told Bridget that there was a sale in town. Who doesn't love a sale? And asked if she would go to pick up a few items. Bridget wasn't feeling very well, so she, so instead she went up to her third floor room and took a nap. Which, I don't know how it works in that household. I can only go off of what I've seen in movies and read and stuff. But if an employer is like, hey, I need you to go to town and pick something up. I don't know how much you're going to say, no, I'm going to go take a nap. You know, even if she wasn't feeling great, I feel like she would have gone to the sale and then gotten home and taken a nap. I don't know. Maybe Lizzie was being nice and she was like, you're right, Bridget, you've done a lot of work. Take a nap. You can go after. Around 11.10 a.m., Bridget was awakened to Lizzie screaming, quote, Come quick! Father's dead! Somebody came in and killed him! Unquote. When Bridget made her way downstairs, she found Andrew dead on the couch. He was struck 11 times with a hatchet, around 11 times. One of his eyeballs had been split in two, so he's struck face on. The physician made his way over and called the police who estimated Andrew's death occurred around 11 a.m. But honestly, it's 1892. I'd love for them to tell me how they knew that 11 a.m. was the exact time that he died. Cool. I'll give them knowing that Abby was killed first because her body was probably colder or cold and Andrew's was warm. But the exact time that they died, I don't know, I don't know, but okay. Of course, everyone was questioned. You'd think that Lizzie and Bridget would be the first suspects because they were the only two people in the house when Abby and Andrew died. But this is the police, and of course we always get some random suspect. And we're not going to look at women at this time as murderers. We're not going to look at wealthy people at this time for murder. It's got to be some random person that intruded. I don't know. But the first suspect for Andrew and Abby's murder was a laborer of Andrew's who had visited the house earlier in the day looking for wages. And... Andrew at the time said he didn't have the wages for that employer, so he sent him on his way and he left. 
And no one said they saw him again for the rest of the day. He was just kind of, he, you know, showed up. I need the money now. And kind of like JG Wentworth, he was like, I need my money. And Andrew was like, not right now. So that was their first suspect. I'm sure he was an immigrant. I'm sure he was poor, or at least not wealthy. So they turned to him first. But Emma was also a suspect, even though she had somewhat of an alibi. And it wasn't until a clerk of a nearby drugstore told police that Lizzie visited the drugstore looking to purchase Prusic acid, which is a deadly poison. It's a solution of uh, like hydrogen cyanide. I don't really see how that qualifies as evidence since Andrew and Abby weren't poisoned. They were killed by an axe, but okay. That clerk basically is what got the police questioning if Lizzie had anything to Lizzie Borden had anything to do with it. The issue investigators were having was that there wasn't a struggle or there wasn't a sign of a struggle. There wasn't any blood anywhere except around the bodies. And they and the investigators couldn't pinpoint the murder weapon. So at this time they believed it was a hatchet. Some of the strike patterns on the heads and the faces made investigators believe it was an axe, but no one could find the murder weapon. No one could find the axe or the hatchet that had blood on it, that looked like it could be part of the murders. When the police questioned Lizzie, she said Abby had gone upstairs to put shams on the pillows. Bridget was outside washing windows and Lizzie was in the backyard barn looking for fishing gear for an upcoming fishing excursion. Five days after the murders, an inquest was held at police headquarters. They questioned Lizzie, Bridget, John, Emma, and others. Lizzie was questioned for four hours in which she gave contradictory statements. And if you kind of look at true crime that's happening today or in the last couple decades or so that's a huge issue we're having like suspects being questioned for an extended period of time and the effects that that has on memory statements sleep deprivation deprivation etc so that may have something to do uh, about you know that may be why lizzie had contradictory statements but there's also a couple other reasons. Anyway, when police found Andrew, he still had his boots on, which is the complete opposite of Lizzie's accounts. Once she said she heard groaning or yelling from the barn, but then later she said she didn't hear anything. Other statements were just as confusing, like her searching the barn, even though investigators didn't find any footprints on the what they claim was a dusty floor in the barn and as someone investigating this hundreds of years later my opinion is the police had nothing all they had was two dead bodies with that were sitting in blood 
but there was no blood spatter, no blood trails, no murder weapon, no bloody clothes. There wasn't, no one forced their way into the house. There was no paintings knocked off the wall. There was no eyewitnesses. There's nothing. All they have is Lizzie and Bridget in the house and Lizzie giving different accounts of what happened. Not enough for an arrest. But the police felt differently and arrested Lizzie. She entered a plea of not guilty and was taken to jail. When she went to court, the judge pronounced her, quote, probably guilty, unquote, which is so fucking funny to me. Like, you probably killed them, maybe, like possibly. You you could have. I mean, perhaps. Initially, the grand jury refused to indict Lizzie. Duh. But they reconvened to hear new evidence, which is also so wild to me. Like, nah, we don't think she did it, but I guess we can hear another piece of evidence you chose not to present the first time. Like, come on. The new evidence came from Alice Russell, who is a family friend that stayed with the sisters after the murders. Alice said she witnessed Lizzie burning a blue dress in a kitchen fire, like on the stove. Lizzie claimed it was covered in paint. Bridget backed up the story by saying she saw Lizzie wearing a blue dress the morning of her parents' murder. That was enough to convince the grand jury. Lizzie was indicted for murdering her father and stepmother, but Emma refused to believe it. Emma and Lizzie immediately cut ties with Alice Russell Which, of course, they did. I'd be so pissed if a friend of mine backstabbed me and not knowing the full story or claiming to see something even though I told him it was something else or whatever the case may be. If they're going against me and my family, like, bye. Light that bridge on fire. Even if I murdered someone, don't be shady. Friends before the police, right? Isn't that how that goes? Anyway. Y'all, I would have loved to see this trial because Lizzie's... (laughs) Lizzie fainted from seeing her parents' skulls in court. The prosecution literally pulled out Andrew and Abby's skulls in the courtroom. They pulled out their actual skulls, not photos... Not replicas. The actual skulls. Which means the... The, uh... Coroner had to fucking... Behead these two people. Like, I know all the... Wounds were on the heads, but... You're gonna pull out... Real skulls in front of a jury... And... The defendant, who is their daughter... Even if you think they, she killed them... Like it's it's a it's a bit dramatic, but that made Lizzie faint, which her fainting apparently made the three judges and twelve jurymen very uncomfortable. They were all like, 
I don't like this. She's fainting. It's like, well, duh. This is wild. Okay. The prosecutor accused Lizzie as the only person with the motive and means for murdering Andrew and Abby, followed by pulling the head of the axe out of a sack. Bridget played both sides. She said Lizzie was the only person she saw in the house that day, but also said she never saw Abby and Lizzie be ugly toward each other. Quote, everything was pleasant, unquote. Another witness, however, contradicted that and said Lizzie called Abby, quote, a good-for-nothing thing, unquote. A thing? How dare you? Other witnesses said they saw Lizzie in a light blue dress after the murders, but didn't have any blood on it. The physician said Lizzie was probably confused about certain events because she was pre because she was prescribed morphine. The defense attorney also questioned Alice as to why Lizzie would burn such an incriminating piece of evidence as a blood-soaked dress in the kitchen where anyone could walk in on her. I mean, I'd question it too, but that, you know, that's that's a little presumptuous to think that a murderer is smart enough to not burn bloody outfits in front of people, but who knows. The judges even excluded the Prusik acid evidence after thoroughly going through uses for the acid. And rightfully so. If Andrew and her and or Abby were murdered by poison, I'd say absolutely admit the evidence. But they weren't. And the witness said she bought it the day before the murders. So she can't even be accused of poisoning them weeks before when they were ill. Some speculate they were ill from eating lamb that had been sitting out for too long. I also read in one article that the clerk at the drugstore didn't sell Lizzie the acid. If that's the case, then why did the judges examine the uses for it and all the other like hoopla surrounding the acid? Let's say Lizzie did kill her parents. As the prosecution, you'd use the fact that the clerk didn't sell the acid to Lizzie as a motive why she had to turn to an axe to murder. So I get it kind of why the prosecution would want it but it's been so long so there's so many conflicting statements this case is a great example of circumstantial evidence the defense contradicted the dust evidence saying workers were there that week and didn't notice the floor covered in dust so of course there wouldn't be footprints the defense closing argument went quote there is not one particle of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. There is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that they have connected with her in any way, shape, or fashion, unquote. And they're right. The prosecutor tried many theories to try and convince the jury that Lizzie was guilty. They, they even suggested Lizzie murdered Abby and Andrew while naked, which is why she didn't have a drop of blood on her clothes. You know, I'd love for the men trying this case to quickly put on 
take off and put back on women's clothing from this era. It would be hilarious to see them fail so hard. I'll get into my opinion soon, but the jury deliberated for only an hour. I'll get into my opinion soon, but the jury only deliberated for about an hour and a half, coming back with a not guilty verdict. The prosecution relied heavily on the fact that it couldn't have been anyone else while using the witness as support for that theory. Using witnesses for that theory, which isn't really a theory, but okay. After the trial, Lizzie and Emma purchased a beautiful modern house not far from the murder house. Emma moved out of the house in 1905. Lizzie Borden passed away in 1927 at 67 years old from pneumonia after her gallbladder was removed. Nine days later, her sister Emma passed away at age 76 from kidney disease. Even though Lizzie was found not guilty, no one... No one was arrested for the murders of Abby and Andrew Borden. Lizzie was ostracized from the community, so she turned to theater for comfort. Don't we all? She regularly attended shows and financially supported the arts. Because Abby died first, her estate went to Andrew. So when he died, all of his and Abby's estate went to Lizzie and Emma. They paid out legal battles with Abby's family, but in general, they walked away with a decent amount of money. When Lizzie passed away, she was worth around $250,000, which is over $4.9 million today. When Lizzie died, she left most of her money to multiple family members and friends. Some went to grave upkeep for her father, and some went to an animal rescue foundation, which is nice. Now, I have a lot to say. I'll try to keep it short. I'm very torn about who killed Abby and Andrew. I agree that Lizzie is the most obvious culprit. She had means, motive, but so did Emma, kind of. She may have been hanging with friends miles away, but she wasn't that far. She very well could have come back, murdered, or helped Lizzie murder Abby and Andrew, then make her way back to her friends. I doubt it, but it's possible. My issues with Lizzie being the murderer is the blood evidence, or lack of, and timeline. Where's the blood? Where is the blood? There's simply not enough time for her to clean up before her father and or Bridget would have seen her after the murder of Abby. There also wouldn't have been enough time after the death of Andrew. Blood would have been on her dress, shoes, face, hands, a weapon, etc. So let's let's say she did ditch the dress and throw on another dress. Where's the trail of blood? Did she change twice? Once after Abby and another after Andrew? Where did she place the murder weapon? after she killed Abby, but before she killed Andrew. The murder weapon would have left a trail of blood if she didn't clean it, but if she murdered Abby upstairs, then brought it downstairs... Like, okay, you, you get it. So all of this 
brings me to Lizzie and Emma killing together. Maybe one killed Abby and the other killed Andrew. But again, they died within 30 minutes of each other. So again, where's the blood? Where's the weapon? Where are the weapons? Another fact is, and I use fact loosely because, again, conflicting statements, but the police apparently found bloody clothes and a pail in the basement soaking in water next to the laundry. When questioned, Lizzie said it's from when she had her period, which her physician did back up. He did say she was on her period. I'm not saying that those clothes were bloodstained because of her period, but that's what she was claiming. And if those clothes were the clothes Lizzie was wearing when she murdered her parents, why did she just leave them in the basement for two days after the murders? That's when the police searched the house, like two days after the murders. So, and the police first come and there's all this craziness going on and people are being questioned and all this investigation into what happened. As a murderer, why are you leaving bloody shit around? And again, like I said earlier, you could suggest that Lizzie, if she did murder her parents, Lizzie's just dumb. She's never killed anyone before. She doesn't know better. She, whatever you want to say. But I don't think Lizzie Borden's dumb. And it's wild to me to think that anyone would burn bloody clothes in a kitchen while you have guests staying at your house. Or just leaving bloody clothes in a pail in the basement when you know police are going to investigate. I don't know. So I think I think it is a brilliant move by Lizzie if in fact that the bloody clothes in the pail were hers. You know damn well that men back there back then would have sprinted out of that basement after hearing that the blood was menstrual blood. You know, I'm 1892. We couldn't even talk about periods in the 50s. So 1950s. So back then I I would have loved to see that interaction. I still question everything because of the timeline. Because the timeline was Abby was murdered. Then Andrew came home and saw Lizzie and Bridget. Then Andrew was murdered. And if Bridget is saying she didn't see any blood or didn't whatever... Then and Lizzie did murder them, then Lizzie is a fucking magician because she was able to clean up twice that quickly. She murdered Abby, cleaned everything up, changed her clothes, whatever, put a hat on, took a shower, whatever you want to do, and then came home, then Andrew came home, and then did it to Andrew and did it all over again. Like, it just seems a little too good to be true. Also, Bridget said she heard Lizzie upstairs when Andrew came home. Which a lot of articles say means Lizzie would have seen Abby's dead body in the guest room. Which isn't true. Abby was found dead on the other side of the bed from the door. Which means if you were to look into the guest bedroom, all you would see is the bed blocking the view of Abby's blocking the view of Abby dead on the floor 
from the stairs landing. Also, Lizzie again claims she was out back and not upstairs. So why are we believing Bridget but not Lizzie? Bridget's whereabouts are just as sketchy as Lizzie's. If Lizzie really was out in the back barn, who's to say Bridget was the, was actually washing windows? She could have murdered Abby, gone up to her room to change and wash up alone, come downstairs after hearing Andrew had arrived home. Lizzie could have walked in the house from the back door to greet her father. And no, I don't think Bridget has the motive, but both women don't have solid alibis. It is possible that while the women were out back, someone snuck into the house through the front entrance and killed Abby before running away. Two problems. This is at 11 a.m., so you would think that someone would see a stranger enter the house. Maybe the intruder took the weapon with them when they ran away. That still leaves the death of Andrew, though, unless the person... The intruder hid in the house after killing Abby and then killed Andrew. But if that's the case, why didn't Bridget or Lizzie see anybody in the house or hear anybody in the house? And also, where is the fucking blood? Even if an intruder came in and killed someone, where the fuck is the blood? There also isn't a weapon yet. The police, the the prosecution, the investigators, the police claim to have found a weapon in the basement and the ha- and the hatchet they found was broken like the the hatchet they claimed to have murdered Andrew and Andrew had a broken handle on it but the issue with that still is that there is no blood on the hatchet and i agree that you can clean off the metal part of the axe but they they all have wooden handles at this point there's no way you can clean off a wooden handle from blood. It would have soaked into the blood. And so maybe they got rid of the handle from the hatchet to throw away, but then where's the handle? And if that's the case, why did the police find the broken handle next to the hatchet head? So it's still, it's still, they still don't have it. They still don't have a murder weapon. I also still think it's kind of sketchy that no one heard any screaming, even neighbors and stuff. Like, Even if we say Andrew was asleep when he was attacked, okay. But Abby didn't yell for help or anything? That's a little weird to me. Maybe she did and no one heard her. I'm not sure. Maybe it happened so quickly she didn't have a chance. But here's my theory. The morning went as said. John Morse left after having a conversation with Andrew. Andrew took his morning walk, during which Bridget went out to clean windows, the outside windows. Maybe Abby and Lizzie got into an argument, or Lizzie planned to murder Abby all along. Either way, Lizzie murdered Abby in the guest bedroom upstairs. Hearing screams, or just walking inside after finishing the outside windows... Bridget walked in on Lizzie covered in blood holding the hatchet. Maybe Lizzie pleaded with Bridget saying she didn't know what came over her or regardless, Bridget didn't know what to do. So she decided to help. She helped raise Lizzie from seven years old. So in in Bridget's mind, do you turn her in? 
I think as Lizzie and Bridget were discussing what happened and deciding what to do, Andrew came home. Maybe Bridget stalled Andrew at the front door as Lizzie changed clothes. He came in eventually and asked where Abby was. Not knowing what to say, Lizzie made up the story of Abby receiving a letter about a sick friend and that she went out. Maybe Andrew didn't believe Lizzie or he needed to go upstairs for another reason. But to stop her father from finding Abby or calling the police, Lizzie struck her father down. So I don't necessarily believe that Andrew was asleep on the couch when he was murdered. For a couple reasons. A, his boots were still on. And Lizzie probably said she took his boots off because that's normally what she would have done if he was taking a nap. But also the way Andrew's body was positioned on the couch, he very well could have been standing up, struck, and then fallen back onto the couch. Because his his whole body wasn't, like he was part on, part off the couch. So I really do believe that he walked in on Lizzie and Bridget trying to figure out what to do with Abby. So either Lizzie's still covered in blood or the murder weapon is still obviously still around. So he, they all get into some kind of argument and instead of peacefully solving what to do, Andrew was struck down and fell backwards onto the couch. I do believe Bridget was afraid of being accused of the murders. A, she's an immigrant. She's of lower status in a wealthy house. As I said before, the wealthy weren't really considered murderers at the time or weren't even like a thought to the police that they could be murderers. So Bridget probably was near the top of the list of suspects. So Bridget would have helped Lizzie clean up the blood and dispose of the murder weapon. And I don't think she did this out of the kindness of her heart. I think it was in fear of being arrested. She may have also gotten financial support from Lizzie and Emma. Or just Lizzie. Maybe Emma didn't know. But she helped Lizzie. Bridget helped Lizzie clean up the blood and dispose of the murder weapon. In my opinion, Bridget was the brains behind everything that happened. Cleaning up, calling the physician at the right time so the bodies weren't laying around too long. Playing both sides in the courtroom. She basically was deflecting enough attention from her while also not condemning Lizzie. Right? So she's like, well, I did see Lizzie in the house, but I didn't hear or see any like arguments. I didn't... She was perfectly fine, like nothing was going on, which everyone in town knew that Lizzie and her stepmom didn't go get well, didn't get along too well. So I think that's very interesting. But after the trial, Bridget left the family and never spoke to the sisters again. So to me, that says, I was paid off. I helped you not get convicted. Thanks for the money. Bye. We don't ever have to talk to each other again. I don't know what happened to Bridget. I don't know if she stayed in town. I doubt it. 
she probably moved away. But uh, that's my theory. And again, at this point, I don't know who did it. We will never know who did it. Those are just my thoughts. But I'm not an expert or probably have all the facts since there are conflicting statements from a murder that happened over 120 years ago. So if you have your own theories, I'd love to hear them. Again, email me. The email address is hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. We're going to take a quick break, and I will be right back with some Lizzie Borden ghost stories. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother forty wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty-one. I don't know where that folklore rhyme came from, but it said it was used to sell newspapers. I'm sure it helped sell tons of newspapers about the story. But as we all know, Abby was struck around 17 times, Andrew around 11 the 17 and 11 don't rhyme, so it's fine. But what a fun... Your your true crime... You, the murders in your family are so well-known that they have their own rhyme. That's horror movie level, like a Freddy Krueger-style level horror movie. Now it's time to get into some ghost stories about the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, Massachusetts. Today, it is a bed and breakfast, but if you don't want to spend the night, they do have daily and nightly tours. The night tours are, of course, ghost tours. The owner, Lance Zoll, purchased the house this year for around $2 million and vowed to keep it operating as a bed and breakfast and he hopes to expand the business with more Borden attractions. That does worry me. Borden attractions. But if you like that kind of stuff, I guess there's a whole area you can go to then. The house has been visited by many paranormal investigators, including the hit shows Ghost Adventures and The Dead Files. The previous owners of the house, who restored and operated the bed and breakfast, claimed... They had many ghost experiences within the house. And even though they can't be verified, I wouldn't be surprised. I talk a lot about ghosts hanging around because of the lack of justice. And since no one was convicted for Andrew and Abby's murders, why wouldn't they haunt the house they were slain in? Let's say you do spend that night at the bed and breakfast. Every bedroom in the house is available for rent, including the guest bedroom Abby was murdered in. I also found an article claiming the autopsies of Abby and Andrew were performed on the dining room table, which wouldn't surprise me because of when the murders were. The fun part, if you stay at the B&B, you'd be eating at the same table. Lovely. People who have spent the night have reported seeing a ghost cat. I have no idea who the cat is, but I love a good animal spirit. You may see furniture move on its own, including a rocking chair that rocks without anyone in it. Classic ghost shit. 
You may catch an apparition walking through the house and or having the feeling of being choked while you lay in bed. Many guests find anomalies in their photos of the Borden house. You may hear noises coming from rooms, footsteps outside your bedroom, laughter, and some have felt a hand touch them as they move around the bed and breakfast. The guests staying there aren't the only people who experience paranormal events. The people who take the tours of the house and the owner of the bed and breakfast have also experienced stuff. When the owner, Lance, was getting the place ready to open, he would be the only person in the house and would hear footsteps walking around above him. When Lance went to look up the stairs to see if anyone had come through the back door, he heard footsteps on the stairs right in front of him, but obviously no one was there. Also, there's a theory that Lizzie killed her parents because she was possessed by a demon. Oh my gosh. (laughs) If she was possessed by a demon, I think it's hilarious to think that, like, demons hate trials. They hate going to court, but who doesn't? They do all the murdering and then peace the fuck out so they don't have to go to trial. Like, they skip bail. So that is the Borden Axe Murders. I hope you... I hope you learned something about Lizzie Borden and the Borden Axe Murders. It's a very popular story, and I feel like most people, if you have any interest in true crime, have heard about Lizzie Borden. But I didn't know too many of the details, and I didn't realize that no one was arrested for the murders. I knew Lizzie was suspected, and a lot of people believe she murdered them. But I didn't realize that no one was arrested or convicted. So I want to talk a little bit about season three of Haunted Hometown since that comes out next week, December 3rd. One of the reasons why I chose the Borden Axe murders for this month's bonus episode is because it'll drop the week before season three of Haunted Hometowns, which will take place in Salem, Massachusetts. Not far at all from where the Borden Axe murders took place. So get ready for some witch nonsense, ghosts, but also murders and a possible serial killer. I will be talking the Salem witch trials, but there are also other stories that I am excited to talk about that have happened in Salem, Massachusetts. So get ready. Don't forget to subscribe so it notifies you when it's here. Don't forget to send me your ghost stories at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. You're not going to want to miss Season 3 of Haunted Hometowns, so find it anywhere you get your podcasts because everyone loves a ghost story. The artwork for this podcast is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at p.e.p.e.munoz. M-U-N-O-Z and the wonderful music is by Ty Air. follow him on Instagram at for boys like me that's F-O-R boys like me I got my information from Wikipedia famous trials by Professor Douglas O. Linder famouspeople.com history.com CBS News and Boston Ghosts <laughs>